Welcome into the Husker 24-7 podcast. I'm Mike Schaefer, joined by Brian Christofferson, Michael Brunts. We just finished some off-air A's Mariners banter, a little full house talk. You guys won't get to hear any of that, but I tell you, it was really good. I enjoyed it. We can talk full house. I mean, I'm, I'm a little out of sorts to record the podcast now after learning that Aunt Becky was apparently uh, a, a created some fr- committed some fraud. Is that what what it is? Some bribery? Yeah, it had to do with her kids, right? In yeah, school. Real, real life Loughlin. Aunt Becky Lori Laughlin uh, <laughs> indicted today apparently <laughs> for trying to get her kids into USC and paying five hundred thousand dollars to do that. Could be such a good Full House episode though. Yeah, where Danny brings the girls together and they got to talk about Aunt Becky's situation. We searched long and hard for the Full House dramatic music around the twenty-minute mark of the episode, but came up empty. My favorite Full House episode by far is the one where DJ Tanner accidentally drives the car through the kitchen, like destroys a big part of the house. And this is about 18 or 19 minutes into the episode when this occurs. And so you're looking at the clock like, man, how are they going to resolve this? And sure enough, Danny Tanner does. And like the next four to five minutes, they're having a heart-to-heart in the kitchen. And it all turns out pretty okay for DJ despite wrecking the entire family home. Yeah, I mean, growing up, the efficiency of which they were able to problem-solve a lot of the issues that would pop up and the, you know, 17 minute range and you know they got to be out by 22 minutes factoring in commercials it was always impressive to me uh i really hope that you know if i'm ever a parent someday that i have those kind of skills that i can solve some really tough problems in about four to five minutes with a nice speech my favorite uh, episode <laughs> is where danny tanner's wearing the uh the really ugly tie tack thing that uh i think it was stephanie made for him mm-hmm. and that boxers manager is real mad about the questions that danny tanner is answer or asking in this very important episode and uh throws a punch but he punches a tie tack and hurts his hand it was, great. It, was a, <laughs> oh, yeah. it was great to get that in there i remember that one and and you know it comes full circle i thought it was really well done television writing the I mean, one of the top episodes also has to be where they somehow ended up on stage with the Beach Boys, right? Like, just <laughs> randomly. Was that with Stephanie's band? I, I don't remember how it happened, but there, there's a lot of, like, turquoise and pink clothing, and they're on was, stage with the Beach Boys. Is that yeah. when Uncle Jesse was singing Forever? I, I don't know. For, I, I got, apparently, a lot more knowledge about Full House. Biggest surprise... Learning that Bob Saget's comedy is extremely raunchy for the first time, or Aunt Becky apparently being indicted for fraud. Probably Aunt Becky, yeah. I think. Though I might be just desensitized to the Bob Saget stuff now, but when it first came out, maybe I was a little bit uh, more thrown off by it. The roast of Bob Saget is, is terrific. It's probably one of the best versions of those things, which I don't watch a lot of, but... I watched that one. Norm MacDonald was particularly great that night, just going opposite of everybody else. But, And that's your Lori Laughlin minute yeah. on the Husker 24-7 <laughs> podcast. I, I didn't think we were going to carry it over, but apparently I, we did. It needed to be addressed. Do I we need, I need, do we need to, to talk A's Mariners now, too? No, I just needed to explain why if I was off a little bit today, that's why. Can we do the podcast during the A's Mariners game? At 4.30 in the morning? Yeah. Let's do it. I'm serious yeah come on over pc i mean you'd just be getting done with the gym yeah we could do it 
All right. Well, uh, you're getting a 4.30 in the morning podcast next week, folks. <laughs> Hope you're ex- as excited as I am. Yeah. Well, let's uh, let's just jump right into Nebraska football. We got to watch what twenty five minutes. Yes. On Monday, did you learn anything in those twenty five minutes? And what did you learn? That's the name of this segment. Prince is yawning as you ask. Yeah, this the is a great podcast. Sorry, uh, <laughs> it's this weather. It's Should I rain. turn a light on? Would that help? No, you're good. I'm just gonna uh, set I'm gonna my head down on the table here. Uh, what did I learn? I learned that Nebraska's defensive line looks like a Big Ten defensive line for the first time in probably about three or four years. I, th- I think that's fair to say. Um, Just because of one piece? Why is that? Darian Daniels? No. Like, I, I think when you when you have him, I mean, he definitely fills the door up. You've got young guys like Brant Banks, Tate Wildeman, Casey Rogers, who all three of those guys um, – look the part plus you know right now i mean i would say that probably carlos and khalil davis look like the smallest guys in that group right now and that's probably saying something that you know that's good though right it's really good i mean ben stilley's you know 290 pounds and you know looks ready to to handle the big 10 so that was my big takeaway was everybody this time of year is in the best shape whatever they put on the tons of weight ton of weight but I thought that group really looked uh, looked intimidating for the first time. Yeah, I think I think you hit on the main point. Uh, I mean, there's some individual guys who kind of jump out at you. Um, you know, you'd say, okay, his his body type looks pretty good. I, Garrett Nelson, I think, looks really good for like a young kid who should be in high school still. Um, Nick Henrich is a guy I'd say probably needs to bulk up a little bit more, but it's when you think about where he was in the state championship game and he couldn't play the second half, and I'm wondering, man, he might not be available in the spring to where he is out there moving around doing drills. That's a pretty big step for him. And I'm guessing his work in the weight room is only going to improve now that he can actually fully move and function the way he wants to. So uh, some of the young kids kind of stick out. Um, I, I still – I think the wide receiver question is kind of looming in the air, like who the heck is going to be consistent and step up. And you can tell this coaching staff is, I'm not going to say they're at their ends, you know, losing their wits about these guys, but there's some guys that they're like, all right, come on, now's the time to show you can do it every day and not give us an A performance one day and a D performance, you know, on Wednesday. And so that's going to be something to watch because they – they need that group to be um, more dynamic beyond just a one player or two. Yeah. I, uh, to, to kind of jump into your Nick Henrich thoughts, but one of the things, and it shouldn't surprise me at this juncture is that you have a kid like that who looks big when he's in high school and then you get him into the, the college field and he's standing next to Colin Miller and he's standing next to these guys that have been doing it for a while. And have been going through strength and conditioning stuff for a while and, it really is kind of stark because I thought that he would look more like someone who had been in a college situation, and he really kind of, you're right, he's going to have to bulk up a little bit. And I don't know if some of that was the knee wasn't able to do as much, mm-hmm. and I think that's probably what it was. I would imagine he's going to look a little bit different by the time we get to fall camp. Um, you know, they have the way and the ability to put some good weight on these guys pretty quickly. So 
Jack Stoll said something yesterday that I thought was really interesting. And I don't recall a player outright saying it in the same way that Frost did after the Michigan game. But he more or less said that it was no secret to the guys on the team that they often felt that they were much smaller than their competition throughout the Big Ten. And he thought they had a good offseason in terms of moving weight around. He feels like the guys are bigger. He feels like he's made gains that he didn't think he'd get to by this point in his career. And he thinks that confidence from the weight room can carry over to the field, not just in the physical aspect, but mentally they're going to feel like they more fit or belong in the Big Ten Conference. I just thought that was interesting because I don't know if anyone's verbalized that in the way that he sort of did there other than Frost. Yeah, not a player. To me, if a player is saying that, it means that they're really kind of trickled down that messaging, that idea, that desire now that they have to get bigger, stronger, faster. I mean, it's been there, but now you have – something that you can physically look at and see that you're you're going up against. Well, if you want to make it pretty simplistic, which is the only way I can deal with things, I, I mean, Nebraska has, in the Big Ten West, as I've always felt like, has recruited more splash players, like, on the outside and, you know, playmaker-type guys where you look at them compared to Iowa and Wisconsin, you're like, yeah, Nebraska should be able to get stuff done. But it totally gets negated and has for years by exactly what you're talking about and just not being quite as big up front. And it kind of takes away from beating those teams in the recruiting rankings, you know, like because you're not getting your guys to that size up front. It it doesn't matter if your class is ranked 19th or something and the other class is 34 if their guys are 25 pounds bigger than you um, when you're doing battle in the trenches so um that's pretty simple but that's i think that's what frost you know at the end of the iowa that's what he was saying too he's thinking like man i'm getting all these guys this speed we've got the advantage there is what they're thinking and i just got to get guys with some size up there i do feel like and and feel free to correct me if i'm wrong i do feel like guys like farniok and hymas look noticeably bigger to me in the two times I've been around them so far. I mean, I, I don't know if I'm just grasping at straws there, but, I mean, if you remember Hymas as a freshman, his arms, pretty small. I mean, he's – and he was a guy that was underweight when he was starting as a redshirt – or as a as a true freshman in 2017. So, I, I mean, I think some of it is we're seeing the natural progression of some of these guys that had to play early that are now getting more time in the college experience that they're finally bulking out a little bit. Well, Hymas is up close to 300 pounds finally. I mean, he was he was playing at he what? He was like, 255 when he got here. Yeah, that first year I think he played at like 280. 270. Was it? Yeah. Well, so, the fall he was 270. I don't know if he was able to put weight on uh, during the season. But, yeah, I mean, that's small for a Big Ten lineman. The the other thing I kind of picked up yesterday was, you know, when, when you're able to see guys kind of in their position groups um, – you you kind of get a it's like a personal depth chart in some ways where you're able to kind of see guys out there and it's the the, the running back position and the uh, wide receiver position are, are interesting because you at running back you've got Jalen Bradley you've got Wyatt Mazur uh, Maurice Washington wasn't there yesterday because he's back in California uh, taking care of the legal issues that he has um, but 
somebody that's not on campus right now is going to have to emerge in that group. Mm-hmm. I mean, that that's just the reality of the situation. And, and that's why I think the spring is interesting for Jalen Bradley, who, based on what we've heard, has had a pretty strong start to spring. And that's not just from the coaching staff. A, a guy that, you know, had some off-the-field things that he was kind of dealing with last year, redshirted. He looks better, a lot better than, than he did – uh, last season and and you know this is kind of his opportunity where he has to step up and and kind of be counted before these other guys roll in and he's going to have the opportunity to do that I mean it's basically the, those two guys Washington uh, Brody Belt uh, walk on that apparently had a pretty good day yesterday so you know that this is the the time that Jalen Bradley really needs to, to put himself in that mix and wide receiver I mean you've got JD Spielman Wandale Robinson was out yesterday with the hamstring um, but Mike Williams, John Woodyard, beyond that, there's not a lot of proven stuff there. Cade Warner was out yesterday. Um, so I big spring for a guy like Andre Hunt. Yeah, I mean, the, there's guys that that need to get in the mix in a hurry this spring, or else they're going to get left behind. And the spring game is going to be interesting because there's just not much depth at either of those spots. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, if you're you hate to say it's like now or never because I'm always against this for a guy like McQuitty or somebody who's like a third-year sophomore, but in a way it has a bit of that feel because of all the guys that are coming in. And that's that's <laughs> as Bruns puts on his Arizona Cardinals hat. He always does that to like completely throw me. He off. like waits fifteen <laughs> yeah. minutes into the podcast. That's he... fourteen. <laughs> oh, sorry. There's a set time he does it. Go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> With that bird staring back at me, it's very difficult. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I I think it'd be just nice at wide receiver if they could not have to settle for. Okay, this we're gonna put this guy on the field because we know he can always give us a B performance. You know what I mean? Like he might not be like a A level guy. But he's solid. He's going to give us a B. And I'm not saying Cade Warner can only be that. But that that idea, um, you need that those top end guys who you think can be when you recruit them to actually be that consistently. And I think one of the things that's going to help him, and we've talked about this before, is I think Spielman. Um, he's being challenged, as I think you said last week, to be more of a leader mm-hmm. and kind of I think show by example and practices. He's always been one of those guys who he's just a gamer. But I think now probably knows as one of the upperclassmen he's got to lead the way like this is how you got to work kind of like Stanley used to show him and so I think that could be uh pretty useful to those guys because Stanley was very good at that like this you if you want to get to this level you got to work like I do and so at least they've I think they've got a guy to look at still yeah I one of the things I'm curious about with both Mike Williams and Jerron Woodyard and Troy Walters talked about this is that there's a lot of pressure that first year you get to a program that you need to produce right away. And someone like Woodyard didn't even get there until May. Williams had a nice spring, and then where he fell apart was basically he was bad as a blocker. I mean, he graded out, I think, as their worst outside blocker. And so for him to, to get on the field, he had to get better at that. And that was something that, you know, Walters really challenged him at during the season last year and going into this year. So. I kind of think they're going to get more out of those guys because, one, Woodyard is settled, and, two, there's a lot less, in a way, there's a lot less pressure this year 
because they're not the new shiny pieces mm. is because you have Wandale, you have some of these other freshmen. There's still expectations, and Walter still has expectations. But I think some of the people that got here last year and there was such expectation of what they were going to do are going to benefit by being able to blend into the background a little bit, not have that outside pressure, and uh, might you know surprise some people. The whole post-hype corollary, I guess, if you will. Will Honus is another one of those guys, I think, that could be that way for Nebraska as an inside linebacker. But I will say this. The more you hear about it, the more you, you read, whether it was Barrett Root or you talk with some different people, Colin Miller is going to have his fingerprints all over that inside linebacker competition. So I don't know. I, I Originally, before I knew that Miller had been moved over completely, I thought those freshmen, whether it was Hannah or Henrich, were really going to get an opportunity because of the lack of depth. They might be able to redshirt one of those guys now if Miller is good and stays healthy, you know, throughout the year. I think he's I think he's always kind of shown that he's a good player too. Like it's just a matter of finding give, him a home. Give him some consistency where that this is what you're going to be, you know, and then run with it cuz he's always He's one of those guys, even in games, he would make a play or two where he'd be like, okay, that guy can do, he can be a difference maker on defense. And he's got an attitude about him in a good way, I think. And he is very much, from what I've gathered from some of the guys around him, he's very much a team guy who, you know, I think he's good for their locker room. So I, if you told me, guess right now who the starting inside backers are going to be, it'd be Miller and Barry. That's, and I'd, I'd be kind of confident in it, actually. Safety spot, kind of interesting, too. It sounds like Markel Dismuke is, is maybe the guy right now next to Deontay Williams. That's another guy that you know feels like he's been around forever. I don't think that's a big surprise to us here, though, right? Because we've talked about Markel sort of having that spot, especially if Doman moved up. and They're right. going to play multiple safeties, but right. I'm, I'm not surprised at all. that I mean, when they were, it looked like their first defense – Yesterday, he was back there opposite of Deontay. And he's a guy that he's kind of had like – he's kind of like a bit player. Like he kind of comes in for a couple games, then he you know disappears. And uh, it, it'll be interesting to see if he can stick because there's so many other guys that are behind him at that spot uh, that I, I think will play based on what you know Travis Fisher told you last week, wanting to play six safeties six. In, a, in a game, which is still crazy to me. But um, – you know that's another guy I think to keep a close eye on to see if he can emerge from that pack because I, I I think in limited spots he's looked pretty good. I mean he's plays with violence. Um, he probably needs to be a little more consistent, but I mean he, he could be a good option back there. He had a play. That, this is just one play, but it was that game. It was in the Riley era when there was a guy botched a punt, and Dismuke was on special teams. And he made such a great hustle play to, like, kind of get – it was down inside the five-yard line where he, like, helped Nebraska recover a fumble. Like, it was the game they lost to uh, Northern Illinois, I think. Um, and that – it was just one sh- flash, but I, I thought that was an example of kind of how he is whenever he's been out there. He's a guy who you know is going to always, like, go. And so right now, for especially the way this staff speaks about, you know – shoot your gun uh don't you know don't fear fail failure i think he's probably a guy whose mentality fits pretty well with what they're asking to do 
Were you guys take? Did you notice the tempo yesterday? No, I thought much. it was kind of hard because they're in such a period mode that I, I guess I didn't notice it. But I was also watching the defense more than I was watching the offense. Where I think when they're in that split group, you're not going to notice the tempo as much. I don't know. It's I. I was going through video that BC shot uh, last night, and they were running a play. It was about every eight seconds. The Oklahoma or Nebraska drill thing, or what? No, when they were just the offense by itself okay. against the scout, they were running a play. Everybody got set again. Like they weren't line changing guys in and out too much. It was just one after they're going. They're going to go faster. I don't know if it's going to show when we're over there for thirty minutes sometimes, but I think it's it's a sermon that's being preached every day over there. Yeah. Well, on the the defensive side, it wasn't that at all. I mean, they were they were hanging around those trash cans for a little bit. So. That's uh, that'll be. What are they? Do you know what they average to play per second, or not? I couldn't find exact documentation on it. I did a little story, and I'd like to at some point revisit and be more thorough, even. But they ran two point six one plays per minute, which on the surface doesn't mean a lot to anybody when they hear it. But um, compare it to like Iowa and Wisconsin, they run like 2.1 plays a minute, which if you average it out over the course is a lot like Michigan runs just two plays per minute. So Syracuse, for example, I think runs like 2.8 plays per minute. So that gives you an example of a team that plays really fast. And Nebraska is not that far off last year, even from them. Now there's different ways that that doesn't always mean, um, it's not always a direct line that you're playing fast because sometimes there's incompletions and stuff that skew that stat. But still, they were up there last year, even though it didn't always seem that way as much to me. I don't know if it was the expectation. Kind of the Colorado game, remember they had that second quarter where it was just boom, 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 and there was such pace to it, and you sort of thought that's how it's going to always be. And it felt like at times they kind of lulled from that after that didn't it yeah well and i think that you can play faster when you have leads right so nebraska didn't lead for much of the first half of the season so you're you're playing it a little bit different of a style if you're trailing by 10 or whatever it is than if you're up by 10 i mean because to me that tempo is even more dangerous when you're leading because you've got those teams in just panic stricken mode so i i would imagine there's at least some aspect of their tempo that'll be increased assuming they are leading in more games. And they were so stinking sloppy the first half of the season. Yeah. I think that probably messes a lot with your pace and your efficiency when you, you're always, you know, you got to play from behind the chains all the time. I kind of wondered, too, like, as it became more obvious as the season wore on that defensively they weren't getting stops and, and getting turnovers, that also kind of caused them to back off a little bit because – you know, the, the last thing you want to do is go three and out quickly and leave your defense hanging out there, which they did at times, uh, especially kind of in the, the middle part of the that first six-game stretch. Are we overthinking it and that maybe they'll be faster because Adrian Martinez won't be a true freshman? I think that's – I mean, that's part of it. Yeah. Comfort with the offense for everybody. Right. Um, I mean, that, that part of it too is why I think that center position is so important because you need somebody to be able to line up and – and get everybody else lined up up front. Yeah, that that's that's going to be a big part of it. That guy's got to be sharp. I mean, they're they're going to have to have somebody at that position who can really like 
see the things developing before they happen. That's why it's a big worry. I, I don't think we should ever undersell how big of a question mark that is right now at center. Even if the guy has all the talent in the world, you would figure it's going to take whoever wins that job a year or so to really grow in that position through games. So that's, it's, that's a concern. Do you know who was out there for the nominal first team? Yesterday, Jurgens yesterday, I think got a lot of ones, but it looks like a three-man race. Yeah, they Farniak got a couple. Yeah, number one snaps too that I saw. So. Hickson at right guard, Farniak at right tackle. Hickson moved this week. He was right guard last week, and he was left guard yesterday. Um, Bo Wilson right guard then? Yes. Interesting. So they have to. I. I mean, I think right now, unless, unless like Ben Hart, just like comes in and takes that where you're like, okay, we, you can play him right away at right tackle, and then you can move Farniok. I have to think right now the best five at this very moment. It consists of Hickson and Wilson at the guards, and that's I think there's a gap between them and others, and then there's just a you know who your tackles are, and then there's just a three-man race at center. I think it's kind of that simplistic at this moment. That best five, though, that that's a key. Like, that's mm-hmm. what they're wanting to, to get to is not necessarily based on position. They'll move guys around if they can, but... Yeah. And I still think that if I was betting, I would bet on Ben Hart not redshirting this year. They just... Everything in my gut tells me that it was set up this manner, uh, you know, because they don't have to play him at right tackle either. Uh, so I, I just think that that's where this thing is headed. But I could be entirely wrong. I mean, he could get here and really struggle. Um, so but, would you put him at guard? What is that? Would you put him at guard, do the Zach Stirrup thing? Could you put Ben Hart at guard? You're saying he wouldn't play right tackle? No, I said that he didn't have to. I mean, they could have had him start at left tackle, too. Oh, gotcha. And, I mean, there's there's different ways that it, it could have went. Like, he could have spent a year learning left tackle, and then you move Hymas back to right tackle or whatever. I mean, there's different ways this thing could have gone. But I think that, it to me, is a little bit telling that it's right tackle and that, you know, I think he's going to have the opportunity to, to at very least, next fall – prove that he deserves some playing done the thing that's really dawned on me in the last two weeks or so when we do our indispensable husker list not to try to influence votes here or anything you're swaying me but farniak is way 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 up there and i'm not that he he wouldn't have been but i i think if that guy limps off the field at any point I mean, he's so versatile, and he's such a leader in that room from everything. And Hymas was saying that again yesterday. Like, he's trying to be kind of what Farniak is as far as that type of, you know, exam, you know, rah-rah guy. Um, so I, I think his, how critical he is just because of his versatility and the way he gets other guys around him to go is, is something else. It was him and Stoll – were like leading like meetings, you know, by by themselves while the coaches were recruiting. I thought that was interesting. And Adrian Martinez was taking guys out, which you might expect, and doing all these past skeleton drills and stuff like that. So I do think they have some a nucleus of guys who have really stepped up and shown the coaches that even when they're not around, they can 
they can take the reins. And I think Farniok's one of those guys. So I pulled up my indispensable Huskers list to see where I have Farniok. I have him at 11 last year. I did not have Mo Berry ranked. I thought I did, but I didn't. Jerk. Um, didn't have Adrian Martinez on this list. Yeah, we uh, did. We make a rule that we couldn't or something. Well, we didn't know who the, was going to win the job, in right? Defense, so yeah, um, and we also didn't know. Bruns had Martinez at nineteen. At least I had him on there. <laughs> at least yeah. like that was a win. We didn't know everybody was going to transfer at the time. We were dealing with the roster that was in front of us, and uh, I don't know if I have. Is this BC's? This is, you had Mo Berry at twenty. Man, that's that's uh, you had Tristan at sixteen and Adrian Martinez at fifteen. I think Brunts had Tristan the highest. I just backed out of the email because I'm an idiot. Uh, here, here's my list. It was Morgan, Hymas, Stoltenberg, Williams, Spielman, Farmer, Farniok was seven on mine. Hmm. Carlos Davis, Greg Bell was number nine on mine. That's uh, I have him at six. Lamar Jackson, Dedrick <laughs> Young, Caleb Lightbourne. <laughs> Tyshawn Lindsey, Luke Gifford, Jack Stoll, Gerald Foster, Antonio Reed, Jebbia Martinez, Stilly. Was that was it wasn't our best list. We'll do we're gonna do better this year. And had to, uh, had to get a feel for the new staff and how they I remember mesh. the big argument over this was about Mick Stoltenberg because I didn't rank him at all. I feel like I was right in that assessment. Yeah. My criteria, but. which I can't say because this is a family podcast, <laughs> <laughs> was basically how effed Nebraska would be if the guy was injured for the season. And, mm. uh, yeah, it'll be an interesting list. You didn't put that in the story, which I was disappointed about. But I think I said screwed. Yeah. I'm screwed they did. BC, the only one not to have Tyjon Lindsay on his list. Yeah. I guess that's a win. Brunts in the email exchange wondered why we were all about that boodle. That was exactly how it was uh, phrased, too. He, he was top 10 on your list. I don't see Brian's list on here. Brian had him 13, I think. Okay. Yeah. Well, I, we're going to. Clearly, do- we're just smarter at defensive back than you are. Clearly. Nobody had Trey Neal listed. It's like we didn't know at the time. Yeah. This was done in late May. May 29th. Yeah. So O'Brien was already gone. Yep. We'd already had the situation where Mario said, you guys know about Patrick, right? (laughs) (laughs) Breaking the news. (laughs) That was my favorite thing of the spring last year. Pregnant pause from Brian. (laughs) No. (laughs) Yeah, there was. What about Patrick? (laughs) Continue. (laughs) Um, there's an amazing, uh, yeah, exchange in this email thing where Brunt's, uh, talking about a player that he, he spent three to five minutes trying to talk himself into failed and then was ultimately correct in not listing him because he spent the whole season with Nebraska, but you wouldn't know it by looking at this. Played all 12 games. Might mm-hmm. as well not have been there. Yeah. If you can figure that out, send it into an email. Maybe you'll win an award next week. You get an Arizona Cardinals hat. <laughs> Slightly used. Game worn. <laughs> Game podcast worn. Maybe it was worn by Josh Rosen. Maybe Michael Bruns. Yeah. Neil Lomax, maybe. 
It's a throwback. Cardinals there for you. Um, anything else we, we need to cover from spring ball so far? Well, I mean, there is the – we can just go through it quickly. Do, do you think <clears> – <throat> Do you think the Mo Washington thing is a distraction for the team? I was asked, I've been asked that. Do you think guy? I don't think so. No, not really. No. Uh, I mean, maybe if you're someone that's particularly close to him, you're wondering how it's going for him. But I don't. I, I don't think it would be much of a distraction. I really don't. I. I always take, and it's not always the case, but I always take the viewpoint that most guys that age, they can move on from stuff pretty quickly. You know, it's you're just as focused as like who the girl in your English class is, as like what's happening to a teammate around you sometimes. And, and it's it's spring ball, like it's it's practice. Like I, I don't. You're think downplaying what we cover. Talking about practice, well, right? I, I just don't think that. So you don't view it like Troy Walters that there's 15 spring practices and 15 games if you're going to play in the national title. So each practice is essentially a step to get to the national title. Yes, those first two games are just non-padded by rule. Preseason. They're preseason. Yeah. Well, that's I, that's where football's headed anyway, isn't right, it, right? Yeah. I, I, it's not, I don't know. Like Scott Frost is kind of handling it, I guess, as much as he can in terms of just keeping Mo Washington on the straight and narrow. The lawyers are doing it in California. I mean, it's yeah. I think it would matter if it's a f- if it was maybe August twenty first. Right, right. That, also, it was a little more local too, right? Mm. Yeah, like it's a little bit easier that it's off in the faraway land of California. I would imagine than if it was every day here in Lincoln. Yeah, Brunts is correct though. There's some around here who still act like the sp- the spring game is a fun event. I'm not, but it is. The, not one of the most important practices even in the 15 for this staff. Nor You're has just saying that because you have a press pass like game day, Brian. <laughs> There's still people who cover the team who act like it's uh, like a it's, huge deal, like yeah. it's the biggest practice of them all, and it's down it's down on the list. And if they listen to the coaches, they would know that. It's 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 more important almost just from the standpoint of like how do young guys deal with deal with that kind of a crowd for the first time. I feel like. Yeah, I mean that's a good experience for him. But I I feel like there's a there's a few there's a couple scrimmages that are probably carrying much more weight. I kind of um, want to to come up with some spring game MVP questions and ask you guys if you can name who the player was that did X in a certain year. I'd I'd be okay with that. Let's do it cool. next week for the arm break. Okay. Are you good with that? I I will be at for right. four thirty in the morning. Is that when we're doing it? Or is that two weeks from now? Uh, well, four thirty <laughs> in the morning is next week. Okay. Spring break. We, right. we can play spring game trivia and watch the A's take it to the Mariners at four thirty in the morning. I look. I'm, I'll make eggs. Excellent. So we're over at your place, son. Uh, sure. Well, do you have the the child? We don't want to. But I have to be there for child containment if <laughs> if warranted. We'll wake her up though when we're celebrating that crush Davis home run. That's true. <laughs> Um. Yeah, that's that is true. I do like to helicopter the the T-shirt after every Crush Davis uh, home run, as you should. All forty-seven of them expected in twenty nineteen. Mm-hmm. Uh, some breaking news here on this uh, college cheating scam. Uh, as as with it, Aunt uh, Becky, as with Aunt Becky, as updates continue to roll out. Apparently, the 
sting operation was known as Operation Varsity Blues, <laughs> which adds another layer to this tapestry of law enforcement. So, should we, uh, speaking of layers, should we talk Nebraska basketball? Sure. Yes. They, they beat Iowa. They did. Uh, in pretty dramatic fashion. You they guys did. were both there? Yeah. Yep. What what did what what was the view like from the two hundred sections? Uh, I believe I sent a non-family friendly or podcast friendly text about the quality of the game at some point early in the second half. You so, did. Uh, you know it, it it was bleak at times, for for at least a portion of it. I ignoring the context of Tim Miles and the future of this version of Nebraska basketball and the failure of not likely to get to the NCAA tournament. Being at that game was pretty awesome because you got to see something that rarely happens. And it was a pretty cool moment for guys like James Palmer and Glenn Watson, the way that they just kept knocking those threes down. Um, Glenn in particular, who I generally would put my confidence level at about 15% that anything he shoots is going to go in, for him to continue to do that uh, was impressive. And then, I, I mean, I tweeted this after the game. No one could have scripted a way of which Amir Harris would have the game-winning basket. You'd have Johnny Trueblood making the biggest hustle play of the day with his steal in regulation, but then, again, knocking the ball away from, uh, was it Bo Hannon at that point? Out of bounds that more or less cost five seconds for Iowa. And then you have Thurier with the big block. And so it it was just as improbable of a win as I can recall for Nebraska, other than maybe going all the way back to like, and you might've been in China at this point. You might remember, but Charles Richardson's three against Texas tech where there was like 0.7 seconds on the clock and he just caught it and flicked it up and it went in that that would be the, the closest I could come to for like improbable win last second style. I think what added to it was that it was Iowa. And there was this feeling with like a minute left that the game was over. But Iowa fans in the arena were trying to take over the arena with like a let's go Hawks chance. And some Husker fans were like, I'll be darned if this is going to happen on our watch. <laughs> so they drowned him out. And that felt like it was what the best Nebraska fans could do on this day was to just like not let a chant overtake PBA arena. And then, so I think there was just such satisfaction from all the – fans there when suddenly this game flipped and some of these sad Hawkeye fans walked out afterward including a nice family of four right in front of me that was very well behaved much better behaved than the Nebraska fan next to him but uh, he taunting a little kid he wasn't <laughs> he's a in your face you Herky. sit next to a person at a game and they like talk to the players from like level 200 as though they can hear them like, like, come on, James, we need this, you know? Like, just this constant dialogue, like they're right next to him. And it just wears on you over the course of 40 minutes. Plus overtime. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but they needed him. He was right. James heard this guy from 2-0, whatever, I, wherever I sit. <laughs> BC doesn't want to add yeah. his section. <laughs> anyway, uh, nice, nice moment, long season. But those guys, I felt like kind of one of those why you, we enjoy sports type of games, yeah. I would say. 
the uh, the news came out yesterday that Amir Harris apparently played part of that game with a uh, meniscus injury. Um, he's likely out for the Big Ten tournament, which I, I'm not sure why the likely is there. Uh, Are they going to trade him for Allen? For Tom? Yeah. I think Tom's out. Wow. So it's, uh, I believe that's six scholarship guys and two walk-ons available uh, to take on the Rutgers Scarlet Knights. The, I have to say, Amir Harris down the stretch, the jump shot doesn't look pretty. Uh, the free throws don't always look pretty. But kid rebounds, he can get to the rim. Like, he, he's good going to the rim. And I think that that's, that's a guy to watch next year if, you know, he continues to progress as, as a guy that could step into the starting lineup and be pretty effective. Because, I mean, it's maybe too early for next year talk, but you lose a lot, you got to replace a lot. And I think I thought Amir Harris, the last couple games when he got opportunities, looked passable in, in the Big Ten, which, I mean, there, there's a lot of question marks about next season. So, um, and it just that whole game too was kind of interesting because you've got Iowa who is very much limping its way into the uh, an NCAA tournament berth. Fran McCaffrey saying that 10 and 10 in the Big Ten this year was tremendous and catching a lot of heat from Iowa fans for saying that. And, you know, you, you got the whole subtext, I guess, of, you know, Tim Miles' future and, and kind of the potential last home game send-off for him. Uh, based on kind of that result, I, th- I thought it was a pretty, it, w- it was fun basketball to watch, regardless of, you know, you could have watched that game if if you were not even a Big Ten fan and enjoyed it, and uh, you know Nebraska basketball hasn't been that way for two months basically. What, what was Miles like after that game? He's fine. I mean, not any different. I mean, he was pretty proud. I think of Glenn and James for the way that they played. Uh, I didn't really dig into this, but I think Johnny Trueblood was plus 18 in that game and plus minus, and he didn't score a point, uh, which is pretty impressive to, to be able to do that. And I, you're going to see a steady dose of uh, Trueblood on the floor in Chicago against Rutgers, I think. Trueblood and four. Yep. One of them has to start. <laughs> you have to have five. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I wondered if he wouldn't get – really nostalgic you never know when a coach is in a situation like miles is and you kind of have a real emotional win like they did and uh you don't want to do too much of that because you still got games left and prior to the harris news i actually thought that they had finally had a stroke of luck with getting Rutgers instead of penn state for that first round game in chicago it's gonna be a lot harder to win now if you're down to to six players but they still you could argue have three of the best five on the court at any given time. So, and if Roby, Roby played really well, I thought in that Iowa game, I mean, he, he did, he fouled out with probably what, two minutes to go or a minute and a half to go. Yeah. But prior to that, I mean, he was out playing both Watson and Palmer until they just went on a streak at the end. Yeah, he was nine to 12, I think from the field, three blocks and eight, eight or nine rebounds, something like that. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting in Chicago because, I mean, that, that Rutgers, Rutgers is improved, but I, I think that's a team that Nebraska can still beat even if they are shorthanded. How many wins there, and is there big news this week? How many wins what? 
at the tournament and is there big news this week? How many wins will Nebraska get? Uh, I, you know what, I'll still go with what I thought Sunday before the Harris news. I, I think they'll beat Rutgers. I think they'll lose to Maryland. It's not a good matchup for them. Um, and, yeah, I think they make the move from yep. Tim Miles probably on Friday mid-morning. That's the uh, – I, I think they beat Rutgers, and I, I would uh, – I've kept the calendar clear this week just in case, which I think is, you know, likely to happen. One win, same as you guys. So we're all on the same page. Look at that. Rutgers has no freaking chance. They might as well not even show up. <laughs> Take that, Steve Peichel. <laughs> Go home, Geo Baker. Well, do we want to jump from basketball to baseball now? We can talk some baseball. It's uh, First off, we're going to get a home game this weekend. <clears throat> I would like one. Yeah. 55 and sunny. The weather looks good. Just throwing that out there. The weather looks good. Um... But there's no, like, as you look out from our beautiful studios here in Midtown Lincoln, there's still a lot of snow in my backyard. I would imagine there's a lot more snow at Haymarket Park. I don't know. I, I mean, I was never a grounds crew member. I don't really know what you do in this situation. Uh, well, it's apparently ice underneath the snow, or right. it was, so that right. that complicates things. I think you just, uh, just agri-lime the hell out of it. Just do, like, the old... Uh, you know, little league approach and just go dump a big bag of agrolime, spread it around, just cut up your cut up your hands and knees when you're Ugh. playing infield. Those are terrible. But that's that's the approach. Well they won two games in Waco. Yes. And would it be fair to say that Nate Fisher has emerged as their best pitcher so far early this year? Uh I think Matt Waldron probably oh, still. Ooh, he's going with the Waldron. Because he's so, Wasn't Fisher the one with the the back to back good starts? He was. Waldron though has beaten Baylor and Texas Tech in back to back weekends, and I believe he's up to his strikeout number is up in the upper thirties. Um, and he's walked two batters this year, which is a know, cause for celebration over in Lincoln. Yeah, he's he's been good in the past, but not this good. And consistency's been a bit of an issue for him, but he's been pretty impressive. And I've the, the lineup has been good enough. I think that the defense will improve the more they get outside. But you know that there's you know some young guys you have to be pretty excited about. I think going forward, I think Spencer Schwellenbach's going to be an All Big Ten type player sooner than later. Colby Gomez. Um, you know, was hitting 96 on the radar gun uh, against Baylor. He had you know, is getting in, uh, to the plate more. I mean, he's another guy I think you have to feel pretty good about. Aaron Polensky, junior college transfer, he's just a sophomore. He's been batting clean up in the number three spot. So, you know, th this is a team where I, I think the – I mean, I think we talked about it before where it feels like the ceiling's high and that where they were picked to start the season was more based on – these new guys that nobody really knew what they were going to be able to do right away. I still think Altavilla is so much better than how he's even played early. He had a couple home runs here, what, Friday night? Yep. What's what's he hitting right now? 241. Yeah. Which is, I would have guessed he was somewhere in the 270 range, so it would have been a little off on that. The Waldrons combined 32 innings, 
41 strikeouts, two walks. Yeah, that's not bad. It's uh, music to the ears of anybody who sat over at Haymarket Park in the last, you know, decade. Spent a lot of time watching people just wander over to first base. They, uh, the the other thing that I think has been noteworthy about this team is, you know, everybody asked the question of, you know, why why does Darren Erstad schedule the way that he does? And you've got Oakland, you've, you played Oregon State for four, you lost all those, but you're you're getting the payoff now where when you schedule teams like Texas Tech, you beat them. You schedule teams like Baylor, which was supposed to be a home game. They had to go on the road, which actually is better RPI-wise for them. They beat them twice. Nebraska's a top 15 RPI team right now, or was over the weekend. I haven't checked in the last couple of days. Um, so... You know, when you, you win those kinds of games, it helps you not only RPI-wise, but it also just helps from a confidence point of view. And I think this is a team where, you know, they're it's a total cliche, but, I mean, they are kind of grinders. I mean, they, they really, I think, the way that they've played have been pretty competitive um, for the most part. And I think when you have that kind of confidence, that's only a good thing for them. I was worried when I saw the schedule without – honestly knowing as much about the team as you do i was worried they're going to be like three and ten right now or something Mm -hmm. i really thought that was a legit possibility and i was almost kind of expecting it so the fact they're six and seven and honestly probably let a game or two slip in there i mean they won a couple close ones too but so it all evens out but six and seven i think it's very good mark against the competition they've played and when you consider uh, this ridiculous weather, and I know that they haven't played in this weather, but it's hard when you got to come back to this and try to figure out stuff in practices with all this around you. And what? So they're six and three minus Oregon State. I right. mean, that's what they are, and I that's that's darn good considering the teams they've played. This this weekend will be if they get the games in. They're playing in New Mexico. You, you hear New Mexico State, you're like, uh, oh, big deal, right? New Mexico State right now is 14 and three. They've got a midweek against Arizona State, and currently they have one, two, three, four, five, seven of their starters are hitting 385 or better. Uh, Nick Gonzalez, who's their best hitter, 545 batting average in 17 games, 11 home runs. 42 RBIs, and he's slugging 1091. Who have they played so far? That would be my Texas Southern, Yale. They lost to Texas Tech seven to nothing. Uh, they played four against Delaware, uh, LaSalle, and uh, their their first big test will be Wednesday against Arizona State. So, so they scored 62 runs in two games. Uh, Texas Southern, they've won a doubleheader 24 to 8 and 38 to 6. <laughs> okay. So they can hit a little bit, yeah. it seems. That's, um, uh, that jumps out to you. I don't know, uh, you know, what kind of a ball team, uh, Texas Southern's got or Yale for that matter. Uh, Yale actually got a game off of them, won 4 to 2 in the second game of a doubleheader. Um, LaSalle won 9 to 8. So, Something to watch this weekend. There's there's going to be uh, some guys that can hit rolling into town. They uh, made the NCAA tournament last year. They won their conference tournament in the WAC. Uh, so they're not – it's not some pushover. No. 
So that's uh, that's the outlook for the weekend is uh, some hitting. Good. Well, let's hope they get a hit. Yes. Not just hitting snowballs at each other. Yes. Not that there'd really probably be that much snow left at the point, but just a lot of puddles. Just more or less a, a joke that I was trying to make that kind of fell flat. anything else we need to cover or have we pretty much hit everything i think we hit everything oh all right even aunt becky's legal troubles if we didn't cover it or you want more of it you can always find it at husker 24 7 and there'll be plenty more coverage from spring football we'll be back over at the stadium on wednesday next week is spring break so there won't be football but there will be the podcast possibly at 4 30 in the morning while watching mariners and a's at a location yet to be determined yep uh and possibly with the spring game mvp questions that i need to make a note to myself that i actually do this and don't have to research it four minutes before we do the podcast okay deal sound good yeah i'm i'm, I'm here for that all right well as always we'll be back next week with oscar 24 7 podcast <laughs>